Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Today is New Year's Eve, and I'm sure there's a lot of anticipation and hope for something fresh and new in 2021. As we continue to adjust our lives in light of the coronavirus, how this pandemic shifted and rearranged how we live our lives. Some things, however, never change like being a parent to teenagers, trying to do all you can to help prepare them for life while navigating through tensions like homework, sibling fights, boundaries, and trust. On today's show, we're stepping back into the archives with an interview I did with teen expert Brian Hausman back in September of 2009. Brian came on shortly after his book release, Engaging Your Teen's World, Becoming a Culturally Savvy Parent. Let's rewind and join that interview now with Brian Hausman. Brian, it's good to see you. How you been doing? I've been doing wonderful. It's good to be off the road and actually be able to be in the studio with you. You today. travel quite a bit. I do. Yeah, I do. Both uh, all around the country and internationally. In your book, one of the things you talk about is what's referred to often as this postmodernism. I want you to kind of explain what this is, postmodernism. Well, there's two different ways to look at postmodernism, and it's it's easy to get bogged down even. And I'm sure there's some people, as you're listening to this, just as soon as Byron says the word postmodern, you're thinking, uh-oh, okay, you've already lost me. You it, it, yeah, you're trying to relate to your teens. It's hard enough, and I throw out this big word. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not even a word that your teenager is going to use, but they do live in a postmodern culture. And for us as adults, we were raised primarily in what we would call a modern worldview. Even the word worldview is a word that's thrown around a lot, especially if you listen to a lot of Christian radio that will talk about a modern worldview, a secular worldview, Christian worldview. And basically, in a nutshell, a worldview is your understanding of how life is supposed to work best. And I would say a Christian worldview is when when I come in an agreement with what God says his idea of how life is supposed to work best. Well, for us... Growing up in a modern worldview, everything was very calculated, very measured, very understandable, very black and white. Whereas in a postmodern worldview, think of it like a free-flowing pie. Whereas instead of, you know, we would take a pie and cut it and there's you know eight equal parts. Well, for them, it's like they take all the ingredients and everything just melds into one another. And so, for instance, it would be easy for me as a teenager growing up in the 80s to think about my school life, my home life, my after-school work life, my friendships, whereas for these teenagers, everything just flows into each other. And so, which is, it's easy. I'm sure some of you parents out there listening, you can think of sometimes where you're a teenager that something happens to them at school and it throws off everything in your house. Or they get into a fight with a friend and everything is thrown off at school because for them, everything flows into each other. There's no longer this segmented church life, home life, school life that all of it is one big piece to them. And this can cause great frustration for a parent. Absolutely. Because as a Christian parent, oftentimes we're taught in the church, you know, the Bible says, honor your mother and father. My child's not doing that. So that's what the problem is. They're not respecting me as a parent. Right. Many times as a parent, we want to respond to their behavior and think that if I can just get them to stop doing this, then everything will be okay. You know, if I can get them to stop acting out or making bad grades or, you know, your your kid comes home and they have a bad report card. Well, then what's your response as a parent? Well, I need to get them a tutor. I need to get them to study more. I need to get them away from the video games. They take the privileges away. Exactly, because if I can just get them to change the behavior, then everything will be okay. What we fail to do is many times as parents is we never take the time to step back away from the picture and say, what is it that you believe 
as my child that led you to conclude that this was healthy and acceptable behavior in the first place? For instance, you know, you find out that your teenage daughter is sexually active, you know, which would be uh, almost a nightmare, you know, for many parents, you know, to even imagine that kind of a scenario. But let's say that you find out that she is. Well, immediately as a dad, it's, okay, you're never going to see that boy again, yeah. right? And as a mom, how could you do this to us? And we've taught you better. And, and those kind of responses, because we, we focus on the behavior. Instead of stepping back and saying, okay, what is it that you need or believe that led you to do this in the first place? Because primarily their behavior is coming out of a value system. It's not just created in a vacuum. A girl doesn't wake up one morning and think to herself, I think I'd like to go have sex today and get pregnant. You know, I've never met that kind of girl. I've never met a teenage boy who said, tonight, I think I'm going to go to a cake party, get wasted and total much pickup truck. You know, I've never met that kid because they don't make decisions in a vacuum that they make decisions based on a value system. And so, for instance, what is it that girls needing? Well, she she has a deep needed, innate, God-given need to be loved. And so there's something going there. Or for, for instance, uh, I talked to a dad a few weeks ago who called me and said, I'm having trouble with my 11-year-old son because he's being a bully. He's picking on the other kids in the neighborhood, and I've talked to him about it, but it won't stop. And I said, well, what are you doing? Well, I've told him that this is not good. He, he's not supposed to treat people this way. And so I said, okay, well, right now you're only dealing with the behavior. You're not affecting his belief system. So what is it that he needs that can affect that behavior so that it stops? And really what it is, is his son needs is he had a need for self-worth. You know, he's trying to figure out his own identity and who he is. But, of course, it's a great need, but he's acting out on it in a very unhealthy way. And so as, as he's able to pour into his son who he is as a man and who he sees God making his, his uh, young tween into, you know, then all of a sudden that behavior begins to take care of itself. You know, Brian, I was talking recently to a father who was sharing with me the frustration of them not being able to talk with their son. They wanted to be able to have the son be open and, and free to share with them. If there was this wall there. I know the dad, and I know that he works a whole lot of hours, and when he's home, he has other activities he's involved with. So I just asked him, how much time are you spending with your son? Uh, well, we spent some time together, but my point was, have you taken him away for a weekend, mm-hmm. maybe to go somewhere, do something that he might enjoy doing? Absolutely. So many times what we do as parents is we will approach our teenager on our terms, you know? And so, for instance, maybe a dad would say, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of time to spend with my kids. And so when I do spend time with them, I want it to be quality time, you know, which is really a myth because quality time only happens in the context of a quantity of time. You know, that it requires a whole lot of investment of time for that quality decision. You know what? That is so true. I have found that in my own life. You know, I have three sons, Mm -hmm. but I like to spend individual time with each one of them. My oldest is 24. My youngest is 17. I take the 17-year-old. He loves to go outdoors. He loves to go hiking. So I'll take him on a, you know, over to Arkansas to one of these state parks, and we'll spend the day hiking and just hanging out, you know, mm-hmm. being together. But the best time of the whole trip is the return time on the way home in the car. Right. That's when he opens up. That's yep. when we have the conversation. I haven't forced the issue during the day. We've just been hanging out together, having fun. Right. But it's that couple of hours back in the car on the way home that we have the best time 
of communicating. Right. And for you as a dad, it probably seems almost like the most unlikely of times at the trip. You're probably thinking, great, I've planned out this whole trip. We're going to go on the hike and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And you're thinking, that's when I'll get him. You know, that's when he'll really break down and open up and we'll have this real bond, father, son sharing moment. But for you, it's when you're tired driving on the way home that he finally opens up and starts sharing. And and I think it just it should remind us as parents that We've got to be ready to engage them on their terms and when they're ready. And, you know, for our kids, it's at night. We can't, still can't figure out it just because they don't want to go to bed or because they, they want to sit up and talk. But for both of our kids, they just want us to sit in the bed with them and just talk. And they've had a whole day to be with their friends and to do school. And, and it's now it's time to just stop and slow down. And they just want to sit and talk for a few minutes. Now, you've kind of paint a scenario of parents who are probably attending church wanting to maybe the husband and wife you know together in a relationship things are going pretty good in the home and they could maybe have some their teens are struggling with some with some issues maybe with peer pressure or grades or something like that but even in the church today we're seeing a lot of families that are are split up mm-hmm. and maybe they're not even getting some of the same values or the the things instilled in them that we would expect from a, quote, Christian home. Right. Right now, we in the evangelical church, as as far as I remember, we, I don't want to misquote, but I believe we are at a 51% divorce rate now in the evangelical church. And that's not a slam to anyone out there that may be separated or divorced or struggling in your marriage. It's just reality, and we've got to deal with reality. But an encouraging thing to me is there was a survey done by the Barna Group a few years ago, and they asked over 5,000 teenagers, what is it that you want out of your life? When you grow up, what do you really want out of life? And amazingly, 82% of all teenagers said, I want to be married to one person for my whole life. And that should give me great hope as a parent. You know, whether I'm a parent that, you know, I'm still with my original spouse or one that, you know, my marriage did break apart for some reason, that I can look at my kids and say, wow, they've, they've got a good value there. And how can I help? them realize that value in their life? You know, how can I come alongside them and reinforce that, that that is a good thing, you know, to long for and to hope for in your life? My parents divorced when I was probably seven years old. Of course, Christ was not the center of our home. Later in life, when I came to Christ, and of course, I met my wife, we've been married now for a little over 25 years. Again, it hasn't been all easy. We're people. I've got hangups. I've got problems. And we've grown together as a family. And there is, there is possibilities of, you say, these long-term committed relationships right. that can happen even today. I don't want to live in a Pollyanna world where because my marriage is still intact that I view everyone else's marriages the same way. And I know if you are out there and you are a divorced or separated parent or, or from your spouse that uh, it is so much harder for you to be able to have the time to connect with your kid. Especially trying to work. Exactly. You, you know, know, and sometimes more than one job. Jobs, right. You know? And I, I feel for you, but but also the reality is that we've only got our kids for a few years. And I've got to be able to, as a as a dad, begin to say no to other things so that I have time at the end of the day to invest in my kids. I was talking with a, a young couple yesterday who's getting ready to get married and we were talking about family planning. And I said, you're going to have to make choices right now to learn to say no to things so that you have time for each other. And it's even so much greater once we have kids to be able to have time for them. Right now, we know that two-thirds of all dads spend an average of six and a half minutes a day with their kids. Uh, Two-thirds of all moms spend an average of eight and a half minutes a day 
in one-on-one contact with their kids. But yet the average teenager spends four hours a day submerged in media. And we're talking about all the new social networking. We've got Facebook. We've got Twitter, online web pages. Absolutely. Being bombarded with all kinds of media. On one hand, I could look at that and feel very defeated and say, oh, oh, there's no way I can win. There's no way I'm, I'm going to you know, be able to counteract four hours a day. So instead, what I encourage parents to do is to begin to redeem these other areas of your kid's life. You know, that, for instance, your kid is always going to go to movies. You know, it's just going to be a part of their life. They're always going to be on the Internet. You know, the, you, you can't keep that away from them. They're always going to have friends outside of the home. And that's a healthy thing that I don't want to dig a moat around our house and say, if we just keep all this stuff out, then we'll be okay. Instead, what I want to do as a parent is begin to engage all those areas of their life to begin to redeem them. So, for instance, as a parent, what if instead of your kids always going to someone else's house for the sleepover or someone else's house for dinner, what if you your house becomes the hangout house? So, you know, I know it would be loud. It's going to be obnoxious. But what if your garage was the place that they had the garage band? It's amazing things you can hear as a parent through the air ducts of your house, you know, that you can learn. And so, you know, and not to mention the kind of things that your child's friends will share with you over some homemade cookies and milk. You know, the whole while that your kid is sitting there thinking, why are you opening your mouth sharing these things? Don't you know she is not one of us? But to them, she, you're, you become a safe person to talk to because you're meeting them on their level. And, and you talk about the movies. What about if a parent goes with their teenager Absolutely. to the movie that the teenager chooses, Right. sits through the movie, watches, and afterwards maybe stops at Starbucks for a drink? And engages in conversation. Hey, what did we learn here in the movie? What was taught? What's communicated? Right. I, I think many times the reason why our teenagers will make unhealthy choices when it comes to media or their social circles isn't necessarily because they even desire that thing. Whatever it is, let's say it's a new shoot 'em up movie, and it comes out this Friday night, and your kid goes to see it this next Friday. It'd be interesting to sit down and say, what was it that drew you to that? Why did you feel like that you needed, not even judging, not even saying I'm mad or upset that you went to see it, but just say, what is it about it that drew you to that? Uh, why did you feel like you needed to see it? You know, or what did you feel like you learned about your own life? Because I think part of what we do as parents is a lot of times in a church is we don't teach our kids critical thinking skills about their faith. And, and something I want you to comment on, too. I grew up in a home, Brian, when I would ask something specifically, my dad, for example, he would just say no, and that's because I said so. There was no explanation. That's kind of how I was trained. I had to learn that you can't do that with your kids. I'm sure you loved that answer, didn't you? (laughs) I hated that answer. (laughs) Right. And I'm sure every parent out there listening, you can think back to many times your own parents said, because I said so, or just, or because that's the way it is, or whatever follows after the word because, you know, it just didn't make any sense. And so for, I think what we need to do with our kids is teach them critical thinking skills about their faith. And so, for instance, your kid wants to go see that movie or wants to go to the party, the school party, you know, on Friday night with a bunch of friends after the football game. What if we sit down with them and say, okay, let's, let's print off some information about the movie. Let's look at it together. I encourage parents to do this with their kids in movies. You know that uh, your kid wants to go see the new romance film. Okay, well, let's go to a website like PluggedIn.com. Let's print out all the content of the movie, and let you, me as your dad sit down with my 15-year-old daughter, and we're going to read through the content together. And then I'm going to ask the question, do you think this would be helpful for you to see with your boyfriend this Friday night? You know, and you can just imagine the pause that's going to take place in that conversation. 
Because any kid that really desires to honor God with their life, if we sit down with them and say, okay, this decision in the end, it's going to be up to you. Do you really want to honor God with this part of your life? And I put that on their shoulders, but I help them think through the right questions to ask. Now, let me ask you a question, Brian. I'm confessing something here as a parent that I have done. Some of our listeners might disagree with what I did. My son had tickets to go see Leonard Skinner and Hank Williams Jr. And I went with him. Yeah. It was just the two of us, right. you know, to go to the concert. And I bet you had a great time together. We had a great time together, you know. Not ashamed to say that. We had a really great time together. But, you know, some parents would distance say, no, I can't do that. And there's some parents, let's just qualify, there's some parents that I think it is okay for them if they say, I can't do that. Because that's one of those great areas that Scripture doesn't address for us what kind of movies we go see or what kind of uh, concerts we go to or what kind of coffee shops we hang out in or restaurants we eat in, that it really takes a lot of attentiveness on our parts of parents to be attuned to the Holy Spirit, to say, God, would this be honoring to you? Is this going to help me and my kid connect together relationally, spiritually? And I'm sure that that created a moment for you guys, that you, you and your son. It you really did. It really did. Over dinner, on the way home. And I think what the challenge is for me right now as a dad is I'm really trying to think through with my own son, how do I create defining moments in his life? You know, how can I create these common memories with him so that when he looks back, he can say, I remember my dad helped shape me into who I was. By that night that we went to the concert and afterwards, we sat and talked about yada, yada, yada. Or when we went to the retreat together, we went on the vacation together, when we just spent time on a Friday afternoon at a coffee shop together, that there's these moments he can look back on and say, he helped me figure out who I want to be as a man. This book, Engaging Your Teen's World, Becoming a Culturally Savvy Parent. Why did you write this book? Well, it largely came out of my speaking at the parent conferences all around the country, that my favorite part of the conferences is the Q&A part of the day where at the end we open up the floor to let parents ask questions. And by the way that they would couch their question, I knew immediately where they were coming from, their bent on their views of culture. And so, for instance, when a parent would say, all right, I've been looking at this, uh, I watched this video last week with Britney Spears in it, and I'm telling you that that woman just drives me crazy. And I want to know, and then she would ask, the mom would ask the question. Well, I knew immediately what her bent was toward culture. There was an aggressiveness you know, or a, an anger there. And so I, I wanted to write a book to help parents begin to take a step back and say, might there be a healthier way for me to engage my teenager's world that's not based out of shame or blame or fear or just ignoring it altogether? But instead, how can I move into their world with them so that I can help them make choices that are honoring to their faith and honoring to themselves? Something, Brian, you talk about is helping parents to become students of their children. I, I tell parents all the time, I get paid to spend about 20 hours a week reading research reports and documents and all kinds of things related to adolescent culture. But you don't have to do that as a parent. You don't have to be an expert on adolescent culture. You just have to be an expert on that kid that lives with you or a couple of kids that live with you, you know? And so, uh, and you don't have to know everything about the teenager world to be able to relate to your kid. I always tell parents, you only have to know enough to freak your kid out. Yeah. You know, so for instance, <laughs> you know, go to, go to, a, uh, to a Barnes & Noble one day, to a Borders bookstore one day, and, and go through the magazine rack and just spend – next time you're in the bookstore, spend five or ten minutes, sit down with a Rolling Stone magazine, you know, a, a Seventeen magazine, 
and just look at it to see who's on the cover, you know, who are kids reading, who are they listening to today. So the next time you're in the car and something comes on, you can say, oh, I know about this person. And all of a sudden your teenager's got wide eyes, you know, like, <laughs> how do you know about this? Brian, what about the parent that is so brokenhearted? They have a teenager that is maybe left home, has no desire to follow Christ or the teachings that they've grown up with. Maybe he's a teenager. They've just gone opposite. And it hasn't been out of effort. It hasn't been out of the, the parent not trying to communicate like we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. But and, and maybe drugs are playing the issue. Maybe right. there's some other stronghold that has grabbed and captivated you know, our teenager. Right. What do you say to a parent like that? Again, you, you prefaced it by a parent who is really – they have really done the right things all along, but their teenager has made unhealthy choices. And I would say for that parent, many times the enemy will come to you and try to tell you, see, you're a no count. See, you're, you're no good. See, you, you never should have been a parent in the first place. And the enemy tries to destroy us in our spirit that we are of no account, that we are no good. And in that, we began to even doubt our own sufficiency in Christ. We doubt our own position in God. And so, you know, we think, well, gosh, if I can't, if I can't even help my own kid be healthy and I, I've taught them the right thing, well, then maybe I can't do it in my own life either. You know, that we began to doubt so many areas of our life and and the enemy uses that to begin to destroy our family. And I just want to encourage you as a parent out there that if you have could stand before God and say, I have done the right things, I've taught them truth, I've equipped them in the right way, but they have willfully chosen to live outside of God's design for what is best for their life, then that has no reflection on you as a parent. I mean, I want you to hear that, mom and dad. That is no reflection on you, that you are not going to be held accountable for your kid that you taught them what is right and they chose willfully to go out and do wrong. I, I have to live with the, the understanding as a parent that I cannot control my kid's behavior when they're outside of my house. I can teach them what's right. I can show them how to honor God with their choices. But when my son leaves the door and goes to play at a friend's house down the street, I cannot control what he does. I can influence it in the house, but once he's gone, that is between he and the Lord what he does. And it is not a reflection on me as a parent. It's not necessarily going to get any better. No. So we really have to learn as parents how to what? What do we need to learn? Well, I, I, I think what happens sometimes is the older our kids get, we fall into the trap sometimes. And I feel this pressure, too. Now, I have a middle school son and that lives with us, and, uh, and we feel blessed to have a, a teenager in our house now and uh, that he, he's gotten to that age. But I find myself falling into the trap of thinking, okay, he's getting older. I need to give him more freedoms. I need to treat him like he's a grown-up now. And so uh, sometimes as parents, we begin to remove restrictions from them. And I, I would say by and large that we don't help them to have healthy boundaries in their life. And so sometimes I, I, I feel the pressure on me when, when all the other parents in the neighborhood are letting their kids do a certain thing. Well, why am I the only parent that's not letting my kid take part in that? Well, you know, should I give in just because the other parents are letting their kids or should I should I stick to my guns and say, no, wait a minute, this is not God honoring behavior. And so I'm going to be held accountable for what I teach my kid. And so I would say what we've got to do is begin to teach our kids how to have healthy, self-restrictive, you know, self-imposed boundaries in their life that, again, I can't control what my son does. But I've said to my son before, as he's leaving the house, now, Bailey, I I can't control what you're going to do at your friend's house, but we've addressed this issue before in our own home. So I'm asking you to make a choice that is honoring of yourself and of your faith when you're with this friend, because I want to help him remember when all of a sudden he's in that situation, 
what he's been taught to do. You know, I was talking to a parent just recently, and her daughter wanted to go out and spend the night with a friend. Mm -hmm. The mom was a little cautious and said, well, I don't know. What are the details? And we're just going to spend the night. We're just going to, you know, watch some movies. This is going to be it. So the arrangements were made. She gave the agreement. Okay, you can do that. But it became a fiasco of an evening. It became a wild party. The parents of the girl that she was spending the night were out of town. Right. And if that mom was sitting here today, and just by the way that you explained it, I'm guessing that mother had a check in her gut to begin with, that there was something in her that said, red flag, danger, danger, Will Robinson, something's you know, gone awry here. And, and I would say that check in the gut for us is it's called the Holy Spirit. You know, and we need to listen to that, that we've got to trust that when the Holy Spirit prompts us to say, no, wait, mom and dad, you might want to look into this. It's not because I want to be a fuddy-duddy. It's not because I want to be a stick in the mud. It's because I want to be able to stand before God and say, God, I did my God-honoring best to please you in the way that I raised this kid. Well, I think what you're saying, there needs to be a balance as we teach our children that, hey, I want to train you up with God's help. And right. sometimes I have checks in my spirit. I might not understand all the details of why I feel this way. I'm not trying to kill your joy and your fun. I want to set those healthy boundaries, but there has to be that open communication there. Right. Byron, have you ever met a 30-year-old who has said to you, I wish my parents hadn't looked out for me so often when I was a teenager? Yeah. You know, or I wish my parents hadn't spent so much time with me when I was a teenager. Or I wish they wouldn't have helped me to make the right choices when I was a teenager. Now, I've never met that person. Because we look back and what we typically say is, I wish my parents had spent more time with me as a teenager. I wish they would have helped me prepare me for that situation that I failed in, you know, my senior year, or when I fell into that trap of that situation. You hear that far too often. Absolutely. The book is called Engaging Your Teen's World, Becoming a Culturally Savvy Parent. Brian, if folks want to get a copy of the book, what should they do? Uh, you can buy it in any local bookstore. It's sold worldwide. I mean, literally, we just checked it. It's over in Korea right now. And so <laughs> it's it's all over the place. You can go to Barnes & Noble as well as online at Amazon.com. Brian, thank you for what you do to help parents understand their kids. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me back in the studio again. 